0: What a beautiful piece. What an amazing, amazing way to start our service today. Good morning, familia. I have a couple of announcements before we start our service with prayer. Uh, For those of you that are interested in preparing for marriage, or if you're dating, or if you're considering marriage, or you know anybody that wants to get married, I just want to say that we're about to start an uh, eight-week preparation uh, marriage class that talks about God's definition of marriage, finances, communications, forgiveness, and things like that. This happens on a Sunday uh, afternoon, and it starts in March 6th. So if you know anybody that will be interested in that, please direct him to whitneybible.org uh, slash marriage. Number two, um, we made these announcements last week, but we are in a process of asking uh, church members, a group of church members, to serve in our elder nominating committee. This is a very important responsibility in the church because the elder nominating committee gets to interview potential elders. And they get to make a recommendation of potential elders. Now the deadline for that is today. So if you want to participate in that, you might want to stop by the welcome desk or go or send an email to dstone at Number three... Today is going to feel a little bit different uh, to the way we usually do our services. And part of the reason is because we're going to have, uh, we're going to baptize today in in all of our services, 20 people. And we're going to participate in communion as well. Uh, So it's going to be a really exciting uh, service, I believe. And even the sermon is going to be uh, broken into two different pieces. So don't think that we're making a mistake. We are doing that on purpose. Um, I want you to pray for the service today. I want you to rejoice in the service today. I want you to celebrate with the people that we're going to get to witness how they died and resurrected with jesus amen all right and lastly we want to pray we want to put this service before the lord and we want to pray for the things that really matter would you please pray with me lord we are grateful that we get to be here today we are grateful lord that you allow us in your grace to gather as your people to celebrate the grace that we have received, to remember that we have already our salvation in Jesus Christ, that we have a new identity, that we have been born again, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, that we get to recognize publicly and we get to profess with our mouths that you are good, faithful, powerful, and merciful. Would you please be with us today? Would you please glorify yourself today? We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters that today are are taking a step of faith, publicly declaring that you are the Lord and Savior. May May they be able to feel and see and experience how much you are for them, that we as a congregation may be able to see and feel and experience how amazing your grace is. But Lord, even in the midst of celebration, we, always, we also come to you with broken hearts. We want to bring before you Ukraine, Lord, and everything that they're going through. We pray, Lord, for your grace and peace. We pray for reconciliation and that you overcome all hatred, conflict, and war. We pray, Lord, for the followers of Jesus, that they may arise as messengers of your hope to the hopeless and the oppressed. Lord, may, the, may, may there be a spirit of repentance and forgiveness and unity in the church across denominations and traditions. May you extend your common grace, your grace to all people in Ukraine. At the same time, Lord, we want to pray for Russia. We want to pray for true religious freedom. I pray, Lord, that you, uh, that you get rid of the discrimination and prejudices that there are against evangelicals. We pray, Lord, for the millions of people that consider themselves Russian Orthodox that they may embrace true spiritual change. Lord, we pray, Lord, that the future of both Russia and Ukraine may be a future free of drugs, alcohol, crime, and hatred. Lord, we are asking you to do this because you are the only one that could do something. We are trusting, Lord. That you listen to our prayers and you will move on behalf of those nations. Would you please do that? And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says.
1: Let's stand together and worship. for that moment amen in the last two hymns we thanked god for who he is and we declared our love for him and now we sing about how our lives our lives are changed by jesus death and resurrection especially as we think about baptism today he's reconciled us to god let's keep going
0: Be seated. All right, good morning, Familia. The best message ever complained, uh, ever pro- proclaimed—not complained, proclaimed—in the history of the world. Grace is so and so good that it's hard to believe. Grace is so powerful that it's almost impossible to believe that it's true. Grace is so defining that we have a hard time accepting it. Grace not only saves, but grace motivates, grace empowers, and grace transforms. That's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be spending some time thinking, meditating, and applying the grace of God. Actually, the topic for today is the practice of the means of grace. And to do that, we're going to be looking into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you're still here with me, could you please say, I'm here. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, is starting in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying, uh, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy And that the Holy Spirit illuminate our minds so we could see how profound, how beautiful, how powerful, how amazing is your grace. Would you please do that to us and in us? And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and churches. You may take a seat. Today we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the what and the why of the grace of God and the what and the why of the means of grace. It is impossible for us to truly understand what the phrase means of grace mean unless we first understand what grace is. Now, just for a second, I, I, I'm going to invite you, especially if you are a Christian, I'm going to invite you to assume that you don't fully understand what grace is. I don't, I don't want you to check out because this is one of those topics that in church we talk a lot about, But we talked so much about about it that we could take it for granted. So I want you to assume for the next two hours (laughs) that you don't know what grace is. And I ask the Holy Spirit to give you fresh ears to understand this amazing message that is like no other message in the entire world. So let's talk about the first one, the what and the why of uh, grace. The water and the water of grace. So the passage which is read is is one of the most popular, uh, most well-known passages that talk about this concept. Um, And as we're going to see in a second, you will see that when we talk about the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus, those two concepts always come together in the Bible, that they are inseparable. That when we talk about the grace of God, this thing that God does for us and in us, cannot be separated from the life, dead, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. This is part of the reason why in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says, calls the gospel, the gospel of grace. Now, what I'm about to show you here is that Paul puts these two concepts together for a reason. He wants us to see that if you truly want to understand what the gospel is, You need to understand what grace is, and that when you understand what grace is, you can fully understand what the gospel is. So the question I'm trying to answer this morning is, what is grace? So I need you to do me a favor. I look at the person next to you, and you got to say this. You need more grace than what you think you do. Go ahead. Look at what verses 8 and 9 say. For it is by grace, can you say grace? You have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Can you say gift? Yes. Not by works, so that no one can boast. This is one of those uh, verses, a couple of verses, in which every word matters. You, you cannot afford to skip some of these words. It tells you right from the beginning that the grace of God is a gift, It is the gift of salvation. It is the gift that says that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven, you have been accepted, you have been granted an intimate relationship with God, and you have been granted eternal life. It is a gift, the gift of salvation. Notice that it doesn't say that it is our faith that saves us, but that it is our faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. That our faith is simply an instrument God uses to save us. Notice also that the text says that this salvation, this free gift of God, is God's idea. That if a person comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is because God wanted to is by grace alone. What I want to show you here is something that Tim Keller says that I found super interesting. He says that even though a lot of people have heard the concept of grace and believe in the concept of grace and are attracted to the concept of grace the person can only truly experience transforming grace when three things come together when we have three understandings that come together the grace is free the grace is indispensable and the grace is costly That if you really want to be transformed by the power of the free grace of God, you need to understand that it's free, that it's indispensable, and that it's costly. And I believe that this text explains this super well. It tells us that the only way we can truly understand what grace is, is when we start by the simple definition that grace is free. Can you say free? You know how I know that? Because that's what verses 4 and 7 says. For example, it says that it is because of the great, of, of the great love of God that we, earn, that we have salvation, and that it is because of the rich mercy of God that anybody earns, uh, has salvation. Notice that it says that grace is free because God chose to love you. He did not need to love you. You did not earn his love. God chose to love you. Out of his benevolent heart, he chooses to love us. Jonathan Edwards argued that the reason why God, the Trinity, gave us, extended his love to us is because there was so much love within the Trinity that they wanted to share it with somebody else. But notice that the love of God is not just this emotional love. It is a merciful love. It's, a, it's, a, it's merciful because it is God refusing to give the offender what the offender deserves. That's why it's mercy. It is God refusing to give us what we deserve. That's why it's mercy. Grace is a free gift because it comes from the heart of God that is a heart of love and a heart of mercy. But it's also a heart of goodness. That's what we see in verse 7 when he says, uh, when it talks about the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The word kindness there is the same word that is used for, used for goodness. It tells us that the only reason why the Lord wanted to extend his grace to you is because he was good. And because whatever he does is for your good, your benefit. Think about it. The only reason why the Lord brings us to him is not because he needs something from us. It's because of ourselves. Like truly, what can you give the Lord that he doesn't already have? He does not need your worship. You know that, right? Thousands and thousands of angels worshiping him him all the time, at all times. It's not your obedience that you bring to God. He doesn't need your obedience. It's not your faithfulness what you bring to God. He doesn't need your faithfulness. The only reason why you become a Christian, if you become a Christian or you have become a Christian, is because God is good. God is love, God is mercy, and God is good. That's one of the differences between God and humanity, you know? I actually believe that many of us think that many times we do things for the, for the well-being of others, but deep down inside, we do it because we feel good about ourselves. This is the reason, for example, when you have a couple, one of them struggles and the other one is always there to help. When this person changes, usually the other person who was helping also changes. You know why? Because he's no longer needed. This is part of the reason when we do something good for somebody, if we actually do it out of a selfless heart for their good and their good alone, you don't need people to tell you, thank you. But am I the only one? But it really bothers me when I do something good for somebody and somebody doesn't say, thank you, Hannibal. See, I might not say it, but in my heart I'm like, what an ungrateful person. (laughs) See, if we were truly selfless, We wouldn't need the thank you. I mean, it's good that people say thank you because that's good manners. But we wouldn't need it. See, our God is not like that. Our God extends grace because he's loving, he's kind, he's good, he's merciful. He does not need anything in exchange. Everything that God does is for his glory and our good. That's the only reason. Religion says you must do something in order for you to be okay with God. Christianity says whatever you do for God is because He loved you first. You know why? Because love awakens love. The only thing why we respond to God is because He extended His grace first. Transforming grace is a grace that is free. Transforming grace... It's a grace that is free. It's a grace that we don't deserve, you know? Now, why would I say that? Well, this leads me to the second point. Not only is it a grace that is free, but it's a grace that is indispensable. Look at what it says in verse 5. Jesus, that God made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in our, in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It says that when we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, not only we die with Jesus, but we resurrected with Jesus. We were made alive with Jesus. That in Jesus, not only we have been forgiven and accepted, but because we have been born again, we have a new identity, new nature. The all has passed away. The new has come. You are a completely brand new person if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But notice that it says that the reason why Jesus had to die and had to raise us up with him was because we were dead in our transgressions. You know what the word dead means in the original? Listen up, church. Dead! <laughs> Spiritually dead. It was impossible for you to earn your salvation, to work out your salvation in a sense. It was impossible for you to resurrect by yourself. Notice that the Bible doesn't say that we were sick in our transgressions. It doesn't say that we need Dr. God. It doesn't say that we need a good doctor to improve us a little bit. It says that we were dead. Completely spiritually dead. Now, if you don't know what that means, Paul is going to answer that question. Paul is going to explain that in verses 2 and 3. He's going to say that being dead in our sin and our transgressions is so important for us to understand because, those, because our sin has, uh, because we have been influenced and affected by three things. The world, Satan, and our hearts. And that those three things have affected us and infected us as human beings. The first two we find in verse 2. So, for example, it says that we used to live in the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, notice the phrase, ways of the world. Now, I want you to pay attention, church, because there is this false idea that the only reason why we sin is because we have sin inside. I want to make the argument based on this text and the rest of the Bible that the part of the reason why we sin is because sin is contagious. We have been affected and infected by our surroundings. We are the product of our history, our society, and our family. We are not just the product of our decisions, church. We are the product product of everything that has influenced us our entire lives. We have been affected and infected by everything that we have seen, experienced, and heard. This is part of the reason why we're dead in our sins and transgressions. But the text also tells you that part of the reason why you are also dead in your sins and transgressions is because of Satan, the ruler of the kingdom. Now, this is super important for you guys to understand, that Satan uses the things that are outside of you and inside of you to affect you and infect you that the, the Satan uses what the world offers to tempt you and to make you sin, and he also uses what you already have in your heart. Satan is, is no creator of new things, you know? He only uses what the world offers and what you already want. Hear me out, church. From that perspective... We can ever, ever say, the devil made me do it. You know why we sin? Uh, this is going to be offensive, but, but, but it's a biblical concept. Do you know why we sin? Because we love sin. If you would not love it, you wouldn't do it. We have this as Christians, even as Christians, we have this weird relationship with sin in which we love it and hate it at the same time. We hate it because we know what it is and what it does, but we love it because our heart loves it. You only do the things that you love to do. You love your anger. You love your impatience. You love your harshness. You love lying. You love anything and everything that goes contrary to what the scripture says is holy. Can you see the reason why Jesus had to die for us? It was indispensable for God to send his son to die for us. All by grace. So not only we see that the world is our enemy and Satan is our enemy, but we can actually make it seen how we ourselves are our enemies in verse 3. It says, all of us also lived gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving wrath, the wrath of God. Let me say it again. Satan uses what we already want. Satan uses what we already have. This is why the text says that we lived... Gratifying, meaning following or surrendering what we wanted. That the tendency of the human heart is to follow its cravings, desires, and thoughts. Now, there's a word here that puts everyone at the same level. And that it shows that every single one of us, including the preacher this morning... We are in desperate need of Jesus. See, usually when we think about evil, we think about the wrong things we do that we know are wrong. Amen? Did you know that it's just as evil when we grab good things and we turn them into gods? You know how I know that? Because that's what the the word craving means. It's epithomia. It's this tendency that we have as human beings to grab the good things that the Lord gave us and we use them to replace God. So we sin by commission and omission. We sin by the things we do wrong and we sin by the things we do right that replaces God. Don't you think that at the end of the day, we are all on the same boat This is part of the reason why no one gets to boast in this church. That's part of the reason why none of us here can think that we're spiritually superior to anybody else. Listen, I haven't killed anybody in my entire life. But I have placed other things as functional saviors, like if God did not exist. And it's just as bad. Part of the reason why we were dead in our sins and transgressions is because if the grace of God does not intervene, not only will we continue to be slaves to ourselves, but we will go from bad to worse. See, part of the reason why grace needs to be indispensable is because if the free grace of God does not intervene, not only we will destroy ourselves, but we will destroy everyone, everybody else that we love. See, part of the reason why grace is indispensable is because if the free grace of God does not intervene, not only we're killing ourselves, we're slaves to ourselves, but we continue to sin against him and accumulate condemnation. See, part of the reason why grace must be there Is because if the free grace of God does not intervene, the only thing we would deserve is the wrath of God. See, that phrase is not a popular phrase. Actually, modern people don't like that phrase at all. Do you know why? Because people like to believe in the concept of the love of God, but not the wrath of God. The problem is that you cannot have a loving God Unless you have a God that when sees evil, feels wrath. It's impossible for you to separate those two. And lastly, faith must be cost, uh, grace must be costly. Look what it says in verse 5. That he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You know what he says? That we were united to Jesus. This is what theologians will call union with Jesus. We were united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. But then, if that is true, it also means that Jesus was united to us in our sin and condemnation. The grace of God is costly because He cost God everything. It was costly because he had to become a human being. He had to empty himself of all glory. He had to become like, like a nobody. He had to experience everything we had experienced. He had to be humiliated, rejected, suffer in our place. He had to bleed. He had to, for a fragment of time to lose communion with the Father. He had to take the wrath we deserve. Costly. Costly grace. There is no other religion in the world that offers that, you know. Only Christianity tells you that there is a God that has to punish his people but take the punishment upon himself. Christianity is the only religion in the world that tells you that he loves you so much that he doesn't wait for you to go to him. He comes to you. And as Christians, our entire life is about grace. It is by grace that we have an identity. He says, By grace I am who I am, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. By grace we are transformed. By grace we grow in holiness. By grace we gain strength. By grace we want, we are motivated, motivated to serve, and with grace, by grace, we can endure suffering and difficulties. So the question, second question, is this what is the why? The what and the why of the means of grace. Now, the Bible talks about three means of grace, in my opinion, church history. The Bible, baptism, and communion. Depends on your religious background, people have other means of grace, but I think that these are the only three the Bible talks about. As a church, we already believe that the Bible is the primary way in how God communicates his grace to you. That's why we had a couple of sermons in this series when we talk about the supremacy of the scripture and the centrality of the gospel. But the last two are the ones that we want to spend some time in, which is baptism and communion. And I want to give you a definition on why baptism and communion are means of grace. The means of grace are visible and outward signs of inward and invisible grace that shapes the church. Meaning that when we celebrate baptisms and communion, we are being reminded. We are celebrating the grace that we have already believed and received. So the people that are getting baptized today are experiencing grace in three different ways. And we are experiencing grace in three different ways. Look at this. Baptism is beginning grace. Meaning this is the initial celebration. This is why the Bible shows that whenever they place their faith in Jesus Christ, what happens afterwards, almost immediately, is that you get baptized. This is why Acts chapter 19, verse 4, talks about the baptism of repentance. The Bible knows nothing about a Christian who does not get baptized. It's also a celebrating grace... Because it's a celebration, a public celebration that says, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I died and resurrected. But it's an experiencing grace. Because not only the person that is being baptized has this public celebration. But the rest of the church is also reminded that at one point we also died and resurrected with Jesus. It's almost like a wedding, you know. If you're married, whenever you go to a to a, to a wedding, the people that are experiencing the joy of the moment is the people that is getting married. But if you're there, you also remember your wedding. Part of the reason why baptism is so important is because it's a celebration of grace. It's the beginning of grace. It is us uh, experiencing grace, not only the person that is being, being baptized, but the rest of the believers. So what we're going to do today... And I want to invite you to join me in this. If this is true, if grace is as amazing as the Bible says it is, you have to rejoice with those that rejoice. And you have to remember why baptism is so special. Because if you're a Christian, that was you at one point. And you never leave your baptisms behind. Amen? How about we celebrate together? Today I'm going to get baptized because once I learned that baptism is telling everyone I'm a Christian, I want to um, be baptized.
1: My name is Rita. I'm a member of the Wheaton Bible Church Khmai Fellowship. I am getting baptized today because I want to follow Jesus the rest of my life.
0: My name is Hood. I'm a member of WBC's Khmer Fellowship. My faith in Christ, that He is Lord and Savior, who died for my sin, has brought me here to be baptized. My name is Holly Good. I am a member of WBC, my fellowship. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm happy to be baptized today.
1: My name is Isabel Seaford. Today, I'm getting baptized because I want to follow God and pray on the clothes of Christ. Hi, I'm Lucas, and I want to get baptized because I want everyone to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Hola, mi nombre es Ivon López y estoy emocionada de decirles que hoy me van a bautizar y estoy emocionada porque quiero anunciar a todos que Jesús es mi Señor y Salvador. Hola, mi nombre es Ana
0: Fariñas y me siento muy feliz y emocionada al saber que voy a sellar una nueva vida con Jesucristo por medio del bautizo. Grace Leiva y yo me bautizo como muestra de mi deseo de caminar y crecer con Cristo my name is Marta Jesus Hi, my name is Benny. In
1: declaration of my love for Jesus, I've chosen to be baptized today in acceptance of Him as my Lord and Savior.
0: Hello, my name is Anthony Chan. I am a member of the BBC Cry Christian Fellowship. I am excited to be baptized today because I want to repent, and follow in God.
1: My name is Emily Puth. I'm a member of Meeton Bible Church's Khmer Fellowship. And today I'm getting baptized because I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I want to take our relationship a step further. Hola, mi nombre es Denis Olorio. El día de hoy me voy a
0: bautizar en obediencia a Dios y en agradecimiento por el amor que me tiene. Él sin merecerlo me rescató, me perdonó y me justificó en nombre de su amado hijo, mi rey y salvador Jesús. Hola, mi nombre es Javier Solorio, me siento privilegiado de ser escogido por Dios y con mi bautizo quiero dar testimonio de fe hacia Cristo como mi rey y salvador.
1: My name is Mary Clickus and I'm getting baptized today because Jesus saved me, and I'm excited to take the next step in my faith. I'm Charles Sanchez, and I'm getting baptized today because I'm ready to take the next step of my faith. Hi, my name is Jonathan Crone, and I wanna get baptized to show how much I love Jesus and how much I wanna pledge my life to him. My name is Emma, and the reason I am getting baptized today is because I wanted to show everyone that I am a child of God. Hello, my name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm getting baptized today to celebrate and proclaim my love for my savior, Jesus Christ.
0: My name is Dorcas. I'm from Africa. I love Jesus, and I want him to change my life.
1: My name is Gloria Lucusa. I'm part of the African-French community. Uh, I want to get baptized because I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save my life, and I want to walk in Jesus. Well, amen, right, church family? What a celebration we get to take part in as a church family. So I am just honored. You heard from him in the video to introduce you this morning to uh, Gabriel Gonzalez. And Gabriel, we praise God. We praise God with you for his grace in your life. And thank you for taking the step and uh, testifying to his love today. So I have just one question for you. Is it your testimony today in front of your church family that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes, it is. Amen, brother. Amen. And because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. grace through baptism by singing I will sing of my redeemer seated.
0: So baptism is one of the means of grace, and the second one that the Bible shows us is that communion, the celebrating the Lord's Supper, is also the means of grace. So not only we got to witness and experience what the grace does in people and through people, but today we get to taste and see it as well. And in preparation for this, I have five things, five things that I could tell you about communion and why communion is tied up to grace. See, communion is what some people, communion communicates what some people would call sustaining grace. First Corinthians 11 says, talks about the cup of the new covenant. You know what that means? That if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God made a covenant with you, not a contract with you, but a covenant with you. Meaning that he, when he made a commitment in Jesus Christ that he will never walk away from you. It doesn't matter the magnitude of your sin. It doesn't matter how much you have done. As long as you have placed your faith in him and you have a repentant faith, he will never walk away from you. You might walk away from him, but you look around and he's still there. This is part of the reason why we need to remember, celebrate communion. It's sustaining grace. Communion is also nourishing grace. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, that in Jesus we have been forgiven, that his body was broken and his blood was shed on our behalf, so there is no condemnation for those who have placed their faith in him. See, every time we participate in communion, we remember of the grace extended to us in which we can always remember that you have been forgiven. You don't need to pay the price. He already paid it. You don't need to earn anything. He already earned it. You don't need to do anything to be right with God. You are already right with God in Jesus Christ. Communion is also known as restoring grace. See, the Bible calls us to examine ourselves. That will be 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse, um, I don't remember. It don't matter. We're going to read it in a second. It calls us to examine ourselves. It calls us to repentance. He says that if there's anything that we need to surrender to the Lord, we ought to do it. It's a way to renew our commitment to Christ. And not only is a way for us to restore our relationship with God, if you will... But it's also a call to restore a relationship with one another as a family of faith. That if you need to ask for forgiveness within the family of faith, you have to do it. That if you need to accept forgiveness, you ought to do it. This is a family meal, you know, in which we are remembering that our relationship with God has already been restored. And therefore we want to repent if we have to. But also that we are called to restoration among the body of believers. Communion is also known as hopeful grace. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 talks about communion as a way to proclaim the, Lord, uh, the Lord's death until He comes. Did you know that when we participate in communion, we are remembering that everything that is broken here one day will be completely fixed? That one day we're going to get to feast with our Savior without the presence of sin. That the best is yet to come. That everything that is ugly and painful here will disappear. It's to remember that at the end of the day, God always wins. It's hopeful grace. Communion is also fellowship grace. See, not only communion is a family meal... Church meal, therefore you shouldn't do it by yourself. And we get to do it as the body of Christ in fellowship with one another. But First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 says that we have fellowship or we participate with Jesus. The word fellowship there in the region is the word koinonia. That in a very supernatural way, Jesus does not turn into the bread and Jesus does not turn into the Jews but that Jesus is spiritually present, is fellowship with him, fellowship with one another. Can you see why as Christians we cannot avoid to practice communion? It is a celebration of grace, sustaining grace, nourishing grace, restoring grace, hopeful grace, And it's the fellowship of grace. Now, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this celebration is for you. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is an invitation that you surrender to Jesus as king and savior. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, this is the time when you surrender everything because he is good. He is loving, he is merciful, and his love was costly. And if you're not ready yet, it's okay. But I want to invite you to consider it before you ever participate in communion. Because as believers, when we participate in this, it's a very, very important thing. We don't take it lightly, we don't take it for granted. This is not just a religious celebration, it's a means of grace. Now, before participating, the Bible calls us then to examine ourselves. And we're going to give you a few seconds just for you to be there. You, between you and the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there's anything that you need to bring before him. If you need to ask for forgiveness, do it. If you need to repent, do it. If you need to receive forgiveness, do it. Let's do that together. you to take your cup now have you noticed we have new cups so i know this is nice <laughs> the one that has the bread is with the one we're going to go first so please remove the first the first cover and this is what the lord jesus said on the night when he was betrayed it says that he took the bread and we are given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me you may participate Now let's flip it over. You may remove the cover. And the Bible says that in the same way Jesus took the cup, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may participate. Lord, we are grateful that as we participate in communion, we remember, Lord, that this cup is the cup of grace. The cup of grace that, was, that is free. The cup of grace that, that, that it doesn't need to be earned and worked for. That this is the cup of grace that is indispensable because we were dead in our sins and transgressions. There is a cup of grace that was costly because it cost Jesus everything. Lord, we remember, we celebrate, and we experience today that in order for us to receive the cup of grace, Jesus first had to experience the cup of wrath. And for that, we thank you. And that just as these elements enter into our body, may the gospel of grace enter into our hearts and it stays there. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we say. We
1: close our service celebrating the solid rock
0: that Jesus has given
1: us. We stand on nothing other than his blood and his righteousness. Let's stand. Uh...
0: I have one invitation to you, and then we're going to receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. As you know, uh, we're about to start a season that in church history has been called Lent. And during this Lent season as a church, we want to be intentional about three things. And I I want to invite you to join us on that. Number one, we want to be intentional about reading the Bible and praying for 40 days in a row. All right? So as a church, we are really doing that. We have a Bible reading. All you have to do is join us in that and commit yourself to pray and read for 40 days. How cool would it be if everyone is doing that for 40 days nonstop? Amen? Amen. If you said amen, you have to do it. (laughs) All right? Number two, we want to take this Lent season to be intentional for us uh, to pray as a community. So we're going to do the same thing that we did in Advent. For the Lent season, starting on Wednesdays, we're going to be praying together as a community in the East worship from 7 to 8. Amen? Yeah. (laughs) Shame on you, people. I hope to see you there on Wednesdays from 7 to 8. And number three, during this Lent season, we want to pray for one. I want to invite you to commit yourself to pray for one one family member, one friend, one coworker that need a saving relationship with Jesus. Can we do that? Amen. Yeah. And that one, I need an amen. Yeah. You know that if they don't surrender to Jesus, they will go to hell. Let's pray for one. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ uh, guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent.